Welcome to the RHA Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs, and today's guest is Philip DeBella, Founder and Managing Director at DeBella Coffee. It's fantastic to have you along today. I'm sure you'll really enjoy this conversation with Philip. I'd only met him a couple of times prior to this interview, but he's an extremely passionate guy who's achieved tremendous success in terms of his own business and also in building his personal brand as a disruptor and innovator and somebody who is now sought after for board opportunities as well as his charitable works, which we will talk about later in the podcast. Before I introduce Philip to you properly, let me briefly introduce myself for those who are new to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. And we recruit CEOs, senior leaders and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. So if you have any recruitment needs within your own business, I would welcome the opportunity to have a chat about how we can help you. Let me now introduce to you, Philip. Philip DeBella founded DeBella Coffee in March 2002. The business was recently sold to Retail Food Group. Philip is also a board member at the Brisbane Bullets Basketball Camp. He is Vice President of the Italian Chamber of Commerce, Adjunct Professor of Entrepreneurship at Griffith University, and a Fellow of the Australian Institute of Management. Philip completed a Bachelor of Commerce at Griffith University, and he lives with his family in Brisbane. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Philip DeBella. Well, Philip, uh, great to catch up with you today. Uh, thanks very much for taking the opportunity to have a chat to us. Perhaps just to begin with, us, uh, you know, obviously people are very aware of your brand, uh, Debella Coffee. Maybe have a quick chat to us about what's happening in the business now. And I'm also interested in your various other board responsibilities and so on. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Richard. Um, very simply, um, obviously I'm the founder and managing director of Debella. I started in 2002 and it's now grown to be Australia's largest specialty coffee company. I did an acquisition, um, well, I sold to RFG. They did an acquisition two years ago, uh, which finalises on 30 June 2017. Uh-huh. Um, I'm still the man- founder and managing director. I'm s- staying on until 30 June, and post that I'll be staying on in an ambassador role as well as being a um, consultant um, in areas of marketing, strategy, um, you know, f- uh, fast-tracking performance, um, coaching, whatever really the CEO and the uh, MD of, um, you know, uh, Retail Food Group want me to do. Right. Um, so I'll be moving into a consulting role, which I'm excited about. Um, good to be the uh, uh, you know the data analysis and strategy person, yeah. um, and not have to worry about the execution as such okay. um, or operational. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm also obviously involved in boards. Um, up until recently, I was on the Brisbane Marketing Board, but I now I still chair the CBD Economic Development Board mm-hmm. for the Lord Mayor. I'm on the Brisbane Bullets Advisory Board. I'm the Vice President of the Italian Chamber, um, and I'm always looking around for other bits and pieces that I can uh, lend my strategy, marketing, and branding um, advice to. I'm just recently been accepted um, as an adjunct professor in at UQ. Mm-hmm. So I was um, I was at Griffith for six years. Yeah, um, that ten years now finished um, 
and UQ are now looking at building and supercharging their entrepreneurial okay. um, business school. Yeah. Um, so I look forward to getting my teeth stuck into doing some work with them. Right. And so for those who are unfamiliar with the term adjunct professor, what does that really mean? Well, I suppose it's the way I put it is that you're actually awarded a professorship without through achievement rather than studying for it. Okay. Um, so I mean, most professors have to study for it. They go through the doctrines, the yeah. professorship and all the rest of it. The adjuncts um, uh, are honoured by, it's an honorary role that's obviously bestowed by the highest authority in universities saying that you've achieved your you know the highest level of of what you do and they honor you as a professor um or expert is another word Mm -hmm. in that field so Mm -hmm. to me it's obviously a lot um you know it's very important and it's a great honor yeah um in that case um yeah. Well, I suppose, uh, you know, uh, a tremendous uh, recognition for somebody, you know, who started uh, working in the hospitality industry in 92. And um, uh, I note from reading your background, you know, really, uh, it was during that period that you went to University at Griffith and did an undergraduate in business. So why don't you just talk us briefly through the journey prior to uh, becoming an entrepreneur yourself? Well, look, I had the entrepreneurial intelligence, the spirit um, all along as a young kid. And what I mean by that is the ability to look at things different, um, to create my own resources. Um, that, to me, what the essence of an entrepreneur does. Mm-hmm. Not, not all entrepreneurs go and start businesses. To me, it's a bit of a fallacy. Um, but, you know, for me, I always want to be in control of my own destiny. Um, I'm a son of migrants. I saw my parents um, do it tough. I saw my dad working on Sundays. I wanted to take control of my destiny um, and vowed that I always would. Mm-hmm. Uh, the university was more f- so for my parents. I was the first, okay. you know, um, child and the first, you know, um, child in, in out of all the, you know, um, nieces and nephews of of dad and mum's family that went to uni and got a qualification so that was more an honour to them right? Um, because there was many times I wanted to pull out throughout it um, only because I just got impatient and frustrated Um, I'm now glad I stayed and stuck to it Mm -hmm. Um, but I was always looking at being in control of my destiny so this burning desire um, through schooling through university was to always move into a role where I could control my destiny in terms of work Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been a bit of a creator Um, you know I've I've loved brands I love marketing um, I love um, you know, strategy—they're my—they're my things. I mean, coffee. Well, that was just the industry that I fell into. Obviously, I love coffee as well, but I wouldn't say that that's my number one passion. Mm-hmm. But I understand from your rationale is that you looked very intelligently at the market, saw a gap, and decided. Uh, to fill that gap completely I mean everything that I do um, and everything that I've done so far is all about solving problems yeah. it's a very very simple business model that I follow um, if there's a problem there then there's a possible solution uh, and the business opportunity always lies within the possible solution mm-hmm. so when people say to me these days is there do I have a business case do I have a business opportunity it's very simply put what problem are you solving right. and the greater the problem the better the business can be mm-hmm. uh, there's too many people going out into business with just what I call cookie cutter um, style um, following other people because they're having success mm-hmm. but really don't have any target audience or haven't understood where their target opportunity is by really understanding what the problems are. Mm-hmm. So finding where the problems are will help you build solutions. Those solutions are what, are what your business opportunities actually become. And so what was the, uh, you know, the critical juncture that took you in 2002 to, uh, to starting the business and now you know, 14, almost 16 years later, some of the key milestones along that journey. Yeah, like when I started, I always say, if I was selling coffee, I'd go broke. There was 1,500 companies selling cups of coffee. What I found in the marketplace is that no one was servicing the accounts. No one was providing training, servicing equipment, marketing advice. They weren't helping people with their businesses. Cafe owners were, you know, were were working very hard for their money without any support. So I saw the opportunity to become a supplier that actually provided business support. Mm -hmm. What we 
talk about today is we're like a franchise business without the franchise fee. Mm -hmm. The interaction and the transaction is coffee. But what we actually do for customers is much more than delivering a bag of beans. Mm -hmm. We now actually own those words. It's not just a bag of beans. Um, So we built a service business. We didn't build a product business. Um, It was all about servicing accounts, helping cafe owners make money. That means our target audience are 90% owner-operators. They're people that want suppliers working for them, not just supplying a product. And I, you know, fast forward today, I'm proud to say that we've won the greatest awards you can in customer service like you know brw's number one private business and customer service we've won community service awards uh best management awards for different people in the business um fast growth all that sort of stuff which to me are, are benchmarks and highlights and causes for celebration for the team mm-hmm. along the way uh what we've really done is we've we've been we've created a brand and that we're seen as a leading authority in what we do um so that's 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 just from positioning ourselves in for, in a business that actually isn't about the product as such. Mm-hmm. Um, we're a service business. So we really help cafe owners with their business. And, and especially fast forward today, that's so important because it's a tough industry. You know, cafes aren't doing what they used to do. There's mm-hmm. a lot more of them. Sure. The expenses are a lot greater. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, they're working very, very hard to make a dollar. Mm-hmm. So going back to 2012, I mean, you've made the point... You went to university, you really you know, were keen to accelerate and take control of your own destiny. A lot of the people who are listening to this podcast are in senior executive roles who are potentially looking at uh, you know, uh, taking a more entrepreneurial road in terms of their own career. When you looked at your own skill set and said, look, if I'm going to make a fist of this, you know, these are the skills that perhaps I've, I've got that are going to go serve me well. These are the gaps that I really need to, uh, you know, work on in order to make the most of this opportunity. What were some of those things? Well, the one thing that I did um, that stands out right now is all about um, created a brand for myself. Uh-huh. Um, and you, I say to people, you don't have to be working for yourself to be excelling. Mm-hmm. I've got amazing people in my organisation that are, are brilliant at what they do. And two things we've done there is, one, help them create their own brand and ensure that they understand they're working for their own brand. And then that brand then fits into the company brand. Mm-hmm. And two, you've got to give them opportunities not to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got, you know, I've built offshoot businesses that have people here in partnership with them. Um, because if you want people good enough to own their own, you've got to give them a reason not to. Yeah. What I went through in, and where that came from is because I was working for a company that had so much potential here in Brisbane. But it didn't want to give. It didn't want, um, you know, it wasn't offering opportunities for me to stay part of the team. Uh It was pushing good people out the door. Uh, um, It was actually quite arrogant in its display of, hey, um, if you don't want to be part of this team, then see you later. And out of that came two very, very strong Brisbane brands being Merlot and Debella. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the person who was the backbone to Merlot being Ernie, we used to work for the same company I did, which was a coffee shop in the valley. Right. Um, and he virtually got pushed out the door and went and did he, you know, went and worked for Dean Merlot and yep. Dean Merlot created a great brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I followed suit, you know, virtually got pushed out the door and went and created Debella. Um, and you'll see that in the marketplace now. Great businesses have evolved out of businesses getting things wrong yeah but you also see the other side where you see great people doing great things within organizations because this whole you know and it's the um you know the branson model where he talks about entrepreneur mm-hmm. you know everyone should be striving to be an entrepreneur every there is the, the concept of entrepreneur which is being an entrepreneur within someone else's business mm-hmm. is quite you know quite powerful because mm-hmm. not everyone can go and open their own business and nor Absolutely. is there opportunity for it yeah you know? and so um i get uh you've obviously built the brand of Debella, but you know was there a very conscious decision on your part that you needed to build a brand around yourself 
in order to champion your own business. Yeah. What were some of the strategies that you did in relation to that? Well, it's quite funny, Richard, because at the beginning, I had to make it all about my personal brand because right. no one knew what the Bella Coffee was. Yeah. Um, and funny, then after the three, four years, I started to get a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. It, it fused from Philip DeBella to DeBella Coffee. Mm-hmm. And it sat there for the next seven, eight years, and everything was about the DeBella Coffee brand, including myself. Yeah. And then about five, four or five years ago, we had to then start to separate the Phil DeBella brand back out of the DeBella Coffee. So we've sort of gone full circle with okay. that. Um, and that's where I've learned a lot about brand, you know, and this whole personal brand versus company brand. Mm-hmm. Um, because whilst the, it, was, it was the personal brand that got everything started, it was the company brand that, that morphed into a, you know, into a beautiful you know, a snowball effect and became Australia's largest specialty company. But then the Philip DeBella brand got lost. Um, and in order to keep growing it needed to separate out of Debella so that mm-hmm. people weren't just turning up to work for me. Yeah. They were turning up to work for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that took a couple of years to actually separate it out. Okay. So this concept of being very clear about the brand and who's in control of the brand and what the brand represents, which is what we call brand perception, um, and only your target audience or the external person can tell you what that is. That's why it's called perception. Mm-hmm. What is their perception of your brand and company brand is so important and something that a lot of people get wrong. And is that something that, you know, is just come naturally to you or or have there been mentors or key people that have supported you in getting this very clear sort of understanding of brand and the separation of personal and business and stuff because that's quite um yeah that is not uh something that would come naturally to most people oh for sure look i um i don't have any mentors as such but i do learn i do like watching podcasts listening to people reading case studies I spend a lot more time, and it's probably a tip I can give to the listeners, is I actually spend more time researching things that go wrong than what I do with what goes right. Mm -hmm. Because what I find is everyone wants to look at the businesses that do things right, and then they start to try and imitate um, and become imposters, as as I call it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I like to look at the businesses that get things wrong and then break it down, analyse the why. Mm -hmm. Why did it go wrong? Um, you know, where was the missed opportunity or where was the, the opportunity that um, was embarked on that shouldn't have been? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think from my personal learnings, you learn a lot more from things that go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, in saying that, I think part of that's because we haven't got a lot wrong at Debella in the journey. Don't get me wrong, we have gotten certain things wrong. Um, you know, like making sure that our back end meets our front end and we blew up QuickBooks because we didn't expand our IT mm-hmm. quick enough. We went through a period where everything was too a lot of pressure for staff because we were growing too quick um, so we have made certain mistakes but I'm saying nothing detrimental mm-hmm. and I think what's helped me in that journey is that I've, I've spent a lot of time studying businesses that get things wrong and is there a particular business that got it wrong that was uh you know, uh, a key learning for you? Well, Free as Chips comes to mind, um, okay. you know, where they, they, they were a great business. So I think that's one of the first, well, definitely one of the first to put chips into alfoil packets and split them into two packets into one cardboard box. Um, supermarkets came along and said, we love it, we want it. They upscaled their business, uh, and I'm giving you, obviously, the brief version. Sure. Um, they upscaled their business, and bang, um, a few years later, the contracts got pulled. Right. The, they struggled and went into receivership uh, because they upscaled all on the back of having one major client. Yeah, yeah. Um, McDonald's is a recent one. Um, you know, McDonald's, if you have a look at what they've done, everything they stood for, convenience. Um, they're a business I've modelled closely on consistency. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, they're world-renowned for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they've made some fundamental errors recently with now the build your own. Everything McDonald's stood for, which was fast, clean, convenience, yep. consistency, 
Well, if you look at the build your own burger now, it's a $15 transaction. It's a 15 minute wait. And this is what, you know, this is the feedback that comes from people mm. when you talk to them. So, you know, you can't be all things to all people. Sure. You've got to know when you hit the ceiling. Um, you, you know, this whole expansion, um, and I call it measuring numbers by the books, you know, managing your business from behind a desk rather than managing from the field. Mm-hmm. I make sure that I spend a lot of time on the field, mm-hmm. um, seeing what the consumer trends are, seeing what the problems are, what problems are we going to solve. Uh, we're in the middle of planning for our next strategic planning session, and it's all around the problems. Mm-hmm. What problems are cafe owners going to have in the next three years? Because if we can solve those problems, our business will continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've interviewed many uh, entrepreneurs who have built very successful businesses. Some had an extremely clear vision of the future and a very, uh, you know, staged uh, growth plan, business plans, etc. Others kind of just, you know, allowed the things to happen gracefully mm-hmm. and easily. You know, which camp do you fall into in that regard? Uh, look, I think there's a bit of um, both. It depends on the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, certain industries you've got to follow a very strict you know, plan procedure in certain industries you've got to be more nimble. We have a very strong three-year plan that we run to. Mm-hmm. However, we stay nimble. Right. So I'm sort of, you know, um, if you said which one more, mm-hmm. well, we run to the strategic plan. But yet the, the strategy plan and the tactical plans are quite nimble that allow us to move. I mean, an example of that is, you know, when the GFC hit, um, our business was, and our strategy was to be the strongest suppliers to the um, cafes in the CBDs. Uh-huh. And when the GFC hit, and you went from 90% occupancy down to 70% occupancy, our business took a bit of a hit. Sure. So we had to change, you know, we had to change models quickly, mm-hmm. and we were able to do it. We didn't change who our client was. We didn't start supplying supermarkets and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But we said, right, the target now has to expand outside the CBD. Let's go to a 20-kilometre radius out of CBD and mm-hmm. start tackling the cafes in the suburbs. Okay. One of the most successful things we did. Right. So we didn't change our fundamental um, values mm-hmm. that we're a you know, specialty coffee supplier. We didn't start taking on business that wasn't in our core line. All we did was expand the geographics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we changed strategy based on that. And that was something out of our control. GFC comes along. Yeah. People aren't in the CBD anymore you know Brisbane alone lost I think 40 or 50,000 workers mm-hmm. um, you know when we had a cafe on every street corner mm-hmm. that those numbers start to affect you so we sure. went out into the suburbs and now we're very strong mm-hmm. so we've spread our business um, quite nicely now and was that strategy for example developed internally by your team or do you have an external board of advisors no no it's always been internal I uh-huh. mean again relevant to any business so one thing I always say it's not one model fits all Um, that's something I never advocate Mm -hmm. Um, to me it's always about the why what how Mm -hmm. Um, why are you doing what you're doing what are you actually doing and how are you going to go about it Um, it's a very simple model we follow Um, it's weighed in then against um, the way we collect our data a lot of people go from data straight to strategy and miss the major component of analysis. Mm-hmm. You know, so we always talk about data, analyse that data, um, and then provide the strategy in what we're doing, and that's okay. how we went about it. We looked at the data of the numbers, we, we analysed why it was happening, and that enabled us to provide very clear strategy. Mm-hmm. And so you've got a business, it's going really well, it's very busy, you know, you're very successful. What was the, the dr- drive to be distracted by taking on board roles at the same time? I imagine yeah. that, uh, you know, that would have been quite an impost to you in terms of your time. Yes. But not really much in the way of financial, you know, mm-hmm. uh, reward. But obviously there's some part of you that, you know, felt drawn towards that. Well, they're all, most of them except um, Brisbane Marketing are honorary roles. So every board I'm involved in now is an honorary role, not, yeah. not a paid role. So it's definitely not the money. Yeah. But what it did for me was it, it sped up my learning. Okay. Um, three of my passions, you know, people, opportunity, education. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm passionate about people, I'm passionate about education, passionate about opportunity. The board filled the education. 
Um, I'm a visual learner. I like learning on the job. I like multiple learnings, not just you know one-dimensional topics. I like learning about different things. Um, boards really helped with that. So my first board position was given to me by you know the Campbell Newman, who was yes. the Lord Mayor at the time. He's been on the um, podcast. Yeah, yeah, he's been on the podcast. Um, he rang me and said, "Phil, I want you to be the chairman of the CBD Economic Development Board." Right. Um, and I didn't know what chairman was. So, so I mean, I had to Google you, it. Right. How did he come to you, yeah. your attention, or how did you come to his attention? Well, he did, saw what we were doing in the marketplace, and um, okay. we'd done some dealings. I helped him with some work around um, you know industry and council uh-huh. um, in the hospitality industry about you know food inspections and stuff like that, and and then. And he, he said, I need somebody that comes um, left of centre to run the CBD board. Um, I want the CBD board to be activated. I want the CBD to be um, safe. I want it to be hygienic. Um, and fast forward now, I think I've been on it eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. We've done some amazing stuff. Um, current Lord Mayor has also been amazing to work with. Um, Graham Quirk's been, you know, obviously... Um, you know, done a great job for Brisbane um, and it's an honour to still be in that role I mean mm-hmm. you know some of the wins we've had the no smoking mall mm-hmm. the farmers markets the, the, the famous parades at Christmas um, you know free Wi-Fi and the CBD uh, so the board's been responsible for some amazing work um, mm-hmm. and it's made up of um, you know people that represent the different industries um, and then we report into the Lord Mayor with advice and, and um, ideas of what to to do and, and mm-hmm. both Lord Mayors have always been very um, accommodating and welcoming to, to the advice and hence gone on to, to roll out some amazing you know um, events policies all the rest of it mm-hmm. and so the board is fulfilling your educational uh, appetite yeah the business is fulfilling your entrepreneurial uh you know, and financial appetite, etc. And then you've become quite involved from a philanthropic point of view as yeah. well. So yep. what, tell us a little bit about the sort of things you're involved with there. Yeah, so again, looking at things a little bit different, so I do a lot with Pajama Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, Bronwyn came to me and said, you know, funding's been cut That's two years ago. teaching kids how to read, is that Yeah, right? they do yeah. teaching reads how to read. They're foster, foster um, children as well. So they're okay. foster kids. Uh-huh. They have an amazing um, children's reading program, all that sort of stuff. So uh, Bronwyn came to me with funding cuts, um, said you know um, can you help and I said well how about we come up with a few different ideas so um, three years ago we started a camp mm-hmm. um, so it's a you know and it's something we don't talk a lot about but we started a camp my wife and I with Bronwyn okay. where we underwrite the entire camp uh-huh. 30 care, uh, thirty children and their carers go away for a week mm-hmm. just before Christmas they get to spend a week at Talabudra getting spoiled pampered um, playing doing stuff they've never done before mm-hmm. um, and Bronwyn uses that as a opportunity to reach out to corporates to sponsor children mm-hmm. um, you know and and put money into the kitty, but my wife and I underwrite the whole camp okay. so that it's all um, everything that's donated goes 100%. We also do stuff with the Hope Foundation. Um, the way I picked the causes early on was a lot around children. Mm-hmm. Um, we were a new company, um, you know, we've got young kids, so we did a lot with Royal Children's Hospital, a lot around kids. You know, we're doing some, a lot of stuff with Hummingbird House as yeah. we speak. Paul's been on the podcast as yeah, well. Yeah, great, great business model there. I actually did some mentoring with Paul, which he um, very kindly attributes and says, I helped you helped me get funding by some of the stuff you said yeah. which was very kind of him mm-hmm. but i mean those guys are doing amazing things Incredible. um you know and and again solving problems right yeah they're just solving amazing problems mm-hmm. um unfortunately those problems shouldn't exist but they do mm-hmm. um so can't talk highly enough but i'm getting involved in stuff that i find solves problems mm-hmm. so from hummingbird house to hope foundation which is about taking you know um, it, um people that do drugs and prostitution off the streets okay. um to you know foster care which helps with obviously that so anything that i get involved in is is stuff that i believe um people are solving problems obviously we can't solve i wish i could solve everyone's problems mm-hmm. I wish we could get involved in everyone's charities we can't so i've had to really 
streamline and pick, but that's how we choose who we get involved mm-hmm. with. Okay. And so coming back to your business now, uh, the uh, acquisition by Retail Food Group, was that something that you know had been in your mind as a strategy you wanted to uh, move towards that kind of transaction or was that more opportunistic? Oh, it was opportunistic. Look, um, we, there was no doubt we had to look at succession planning at some stage. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I, I think I was 39 when we did the deal. I'm 41 now. Right. Um, it, it wasn't old by any means, still not. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of work in a short period of time. Right. Um, and I thought, and, I, and I'm quite humble in, in the terms that I think I'd taken it as far as I could on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, and something I've never proclaimed to be is something that I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a self-taught managing director, CEO. I'm not the world's best CEO, managing director. I talk about being on a journey from good to great. Great is something I don't think I'll ever achieve, but I'm always striving for that what's next. Mm -hmm. And I think I took to Bella without the support as far as I could. Mm -hmm. When interest came from many parties, I looked at it and the RFG was the perfect fit. So the retail food group came along and said, hey, we want to let you continue to do what you're doing, but we want to provide you the tools and the resources to supercharge it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a perfect match. Um, they came along, they've honoured everything they said they would do. They've been excellent in what they've done for the Debella brand. They've helped it. We would have everything on plan till 30 June, and we would have doubled the business from acquisition to now, wow. um, which I don't believe is something I could have done on my mm-hmm. own without the, the, the capability and resources that sat behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the why, mm-hmm. um, is I didn't want to be the ceiling anymore. Um, you know, there was a lot of pressure to hold. Yeah. Um, I've got more responsibility now because I treat mm-hmm. someone else's money more seriously than I treat my own. Sure. Um, you know, when you say you're going to make a million for yourself and you make 900, you don't care. Yeah. When you tell someone else you're going to make a million and you miss the target, yeah, you do care. So <laughs> the responsibility is greater. Yeah. The pressure is not as great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, Have and you found, though, uh, being a sort of a self-made man and, and bang, running or dancing to the beat of your own drum, now having that sort of corporate oversight, has there been any sort of... Uh, Argy-bargies? Uh, well, more so, have you felt restrained or, you know, have, from a cultural alignment point of view, have you found uh, that challenging? Oh, look, there's two ways to answer that. It's been a fantastic experience, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not giving you the politician's answer. Sure. Uh, no, there hasn't been any issues that's caused me to go, stuff, this is too hard. Yeah. Has there been adaptation? Yes. Mm-hmm. But again, one of my passions is education. Mm-hmm. Um, so I constant, I've used it as another opportunity to learn. I'm learning about public companies. I'm mm-hmm. learning about how big, you know, billion-dollar companies work. Um, I'm actually open to all of that, and I'm enjoying that mm-hmm. that journey. So therefore, anytime there has been anything small that I've gone, oh, shit, I wouldn't do, do it that way, or, mm-hmm. well, you know, this is a little bit tougher than it should be, it's always been overwritten by the fact that what the big picture is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also understand one thing, that any of the argy-bargy that's happened or anything that we haven't seen eye to eye is purely because of being a public company. Yeah, It's not personal. Um, It hasn't come from a personal position. It's the fact that it's a public company and certain um, dotting I's and crossing T's Mm -hmm. are a lot stricter Mm -hmm. um, and necessary than what it is when you're on your own show. But Mm -hmm. in short, the short answer is I knew what I was doing when I was doing it. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect to sell the business and still be the boss, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, I had a higher authority to answer to. I actually enjoy that. I actually enjoy not being the boss. Mm-hmm. Most people thought I wouldn't last three weeks in mm-hmm. the industry. Um, I'll be there two and a half years come 30 June. <laughs> so I think I've done okay. But I'm enjoying it. I mean, is it a, is it a changing? Yeah, of course it is. Everything's changed. But I love change. Mm-hmm. Has that whetted your appetite to uh, want to pursue board roles within that sort of uh, listed environment? Or do you think that uh, you'll remain true to your sort of... Uh, 
private entrepreneurial background? No, I, I, I welcome the future and sitting on boards. I mean, mm-hmm. I get asked now and then on what sort of stuff. I mean, you know, you get asked by some big organisations that are mm-hmm. saying, well, you know, people like NAB and Commonwealth Bank and Australia Post should be using people like yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, would If Australia Post knocked on my door tomorrow, of course I'd be open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, however, would they be open to me? Sure. And, and and that's the question, right? Yeah. Um, without mentioning names, as a football brand um, that we, you know, that I'd love to be part of and make a difference. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think that board's ready for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whilst they will sit there and blame me, I don't sit there and blame anybody. Right. But the fact is, you can't make change on your own. Well, I um, suppose that's part of your personal brand, isn't it? That, of course uh, it is. Uh, you position yourself out there as a maverick, and you know. Uh, uh, as somebody who's very direct in terms of wanting to, mm. to achieve outcomes, and mm. a lot of people find that very uh, well, they do. They find, well, they do, and I mean, the, the, the bottom line with me is that I stab people in the chest. I don't stab them in the back, right? right. Um, and they know where they stand with me, um, and I want to know where I stand with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because the, maver- the word maverick comes up a fair bit, and people automatically think that's negative, where mm. I don't. Um, I want to know where I stand with people. I want people to know where they stand with me. Yeah. Um, I call that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to piss in anyone's pocket. I'm not going to blow smoke up their rear end when they don't deserve it. Yep. You know, I'm going to celebrate the wins. I'm going to encourage people. I'm going to lead them. And I'm going to lead from beside or behind. One thing that people don't realise about me is I don't lead from in front. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I encourage people and help them be the best that they can be. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is what leadership's about. Which not- is a bit of a dichotomy, isn't it? I mean, you're a very strong believer in personal brand and your brand. And yet, saying that you're more a supporter role rather than a, you know, totally. Uh, that's uh, an interesting kind of um, uh, place to play. Of course, it is, and, and I've got a great adage for you, mate. It's that ninety percent of people that have talked bad about you have never met you, right? Um, and you'll find that a lot of people that have talked badly about anybody, whether it's myself or anyone that's been on your podcast or mm-hmm. even yourself, ninety percent of people have never met you. They're just regurgitating what somebody else has said, mm-hmm. um, and that happens a lot in the corporate world, yeah. where people will say, you know, and this happened on this football board, or oh, you're a bit of a maverick. How would you go on the board? Um, I'd get shit done. Yeah. <laughs> um, is the short answer, right? I would get shit done, yeah. right? To me, people don't realise, and this is something my wife says, who's a very strong organisational coach and studying neuroscience at the moment, and she said the things that people don't realise about you is very simply put that whilst you come across as very flighty in terms mm-hmm. of entrepreneurial, they don't understand how strategic and calculated you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a chess player, but I don't know how to play chess. Right. Um, so I carefully map out the moves. Yeah. Um, and I don't work on iPhone 7. I'm working mm-hmm. on iPhone 12, iPhone 13. Sure. So I'm mapping those moves out in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a visionary. I see the vision, and then I work on the different paths to get there. Um, so how, how do you, uh, in terms of your own awareness, you know, have such a view to the future? Where do you draw your inspiration? I anticipate problems. Um, I look at the problems and I break down the why. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the football club I'm talking about, they're not winning. Oh, or not winning because, because. Well, no, you're not winning because you haven't analysed it right. right. Um, when your players don't know who the board are and your board don't know who your players are, mm-hmm. um, that's not great cultural aspects and mm-hmm. that's why you're losing players mm-hmm. and they're not playing for the jumper and away, mm-hmm. you know, the rest is history. And I don't need to be an expert in football to know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just need to look at it and be able to take the data, analyse it, and then provide strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no different to business. It's no different to parenthood. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I'm a student of life. I'm learning. Yeah. Um, and the fact that I put myself in learning mode every single day, mm-hmm. I believe, helps me. Um, you know, is is I, there's nothing more powerful than learning something new every day and being able to look at things and seeing how people do it differently and why things work and why things don't. Um, you know, and that's something that I really aspire to do is to be better today 
than what I was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm, you know, the outside world sees this Phil DeBella, 100 miles an hour, you know, in your face direct. What they don't actually see is Phil DeBella, the quite introverted person. Yeah. Um, I'm very extroverted with people and friends that I know. Mm-hmm. But I'm very introverted when it comes to new environments. I'm mm. not the one that walks in a boardroom and says, hey, I'm here. Yeah. I'm not the one that walks into a crowd of people and says, hey, I've arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually quite introverted mm-hmm. um, in those new surroundings mm. and, and, and all the rest of it. Because I was brought up to be very respectful, you know, look up to your elders, all that. Know your place, know when to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, the direct fill um, in your face comes out when it, there's a relationship there, yeah. when there's a trust yeah. there. And you um, feel that the other person's ready to hear what you have to say. Correct, correct, yeah. correct. And I know you've been very involved with YPO and I've had Tom Potter on and yep. John Wagner on and you know a number of people who are uh, YPO advocates. Do you feel that that's been very beneficial oh, to you? Yeah, YPO's been fantastic. I mean, YPO breaks things down into personal, professional and family. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got you know between eight and ten of the best of best people that you meet with monthly that become like your advisory board and that's how I've dealt with them you're talking about stuff with them that you wouldn't talk to most people about mm-hmm. um, it's a bit of a secret you know secret service secret society but it's a trust it's about building trust with people that have been in your position and mm-hmm. and um, you, you have shared experiences mm-hmm. um, I can't rave highly enough about YPO yeah um and so looking to the future now, I mean, uh, you, as you said, you're 41, so you've still got uh, you know, plenty of uh, petrol in the tank. Mm. Um, uh, the retail food group thing will you know, run its course in time, I mm. imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what are you excited about for the future? Oh, look, the, the long-term future, I actually look forward to, to um, consulting. Like, mm-hmm. So at, I'll be consulting to the retail food group. Um, I've still got certain businesses we own, like we've got property portfolio that okay. my wife runs. You know, I've got other businesses that I've got general managers of mm-hmm. um, that they run. But uh, definitely board work and, and consulting work in different organisations. So, you know, you've got accounting firms, legal firms um, that uh, approach me now and then about doing work with them. Um, you know, I, I like the opportunity in long term to, to be doing consulting across different mm-hmm. different industries, mm-hmm. but still in that realm of expertise. That whole, you know, entrepreneurship, strategy, branding, marketing, um, fast-tracking teams, um, you know, building organisational capability, um, all that practical stuff mm-hmm. um, I really enjoy but I mean you know if I snapped my fingers and said what would I love I'd love boards like um, NAB Commonwealth Bank and Australia Post to change their way of thinking mm-hmm. um, and start putting people that are in their 40s that have done it that um, have a lot to offer on the boards that'd yeah. be something that'd be magic but I don't see that happening anytime soon well I think you know you've got this whole push to gender diversity at the board level now and I think it won't be long before they also talk about age diversity and ethnicity diversity and sexual diversity mm. and religious diversity mm. I, so when the reality is that there are much younger people in business utilizing these services I, I don't think it'll be long before they start to realize that mm. they have to have a voice for those type of customers on the board. Yeah, look, it's um, if you want me to take the frank approach, um, you know, it, it, it's it's very simple. Put that whilst I have ad- admiration, a lot of respect for a lot of older people, mm-hmm. a lot of the older people that's sitting on the boards aren't current. Yeah, and therefore they're expected to make current decisions, mm-hmm. but they're not current themselves. Um, you know, and I mean that with all total respect. Yeah. Um, that somebody that's been out of the workforce in f- for 15, 20 years to be sitting on a board. Um, uh, for argument's sake, of something like um, Australia Post that is struggling right now, or actually the struggle started ten years ago where they didn't foresee the future. Yeah. Um, 
I think that that could be solved by having younger people that are in touch. I mean, no different to the Kodak scenario where they sure. invented the you know the digital camera, but weren't yep. the ones that made the money out of it. Yeah. Um, you know things like that. I think that you know you've got to stay current. And my hardest, what I work on every day is to make sure I stay current. Mm. I'm constantly. I just came back from Harvard University doing a strategic negotiation. You know, a one year course in one week. Mm-hmm. Um, people go, why would you do that? Well, to stay current, mm. to put myself in learning mode, to make sure I'm learning and, and expanding every day. Because if I want to go sit on boards or I want to go and have different roles or I want to go and consult, I've got to have the skill base set mm-hmm. to be um, current. Yeah. Um, yet a boards, the biggest opportunity right now on boards is that a lot of them aren't current. Yeah. They don't I th- the term that uh, is banded around is that most of them are stale, male and pale. Yeah. You know, and uh, unfortunately it is true. But I, I think that there is a lot of change happening there. So appreciate the fact that you're pretty pressed on time. You know, uh, Philip, one of the things I'd be interested, you've talked a lot about your own sort of personal growth and in terms of the business and things that are happening. You know, what if you were to distill some of your key learnings down to pass to people who are aspiring CEOs and non-executive directors and perhaps uh, entrepreneurs slash entrepreneurs. You know, what, what mm. were some of um, the key lessons you want to impart to Well, firstly, I'd say to people, don't let your limitations be self-imposed, mm-hmm. right? Don't, 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 don't be negative. I mean, negativity is something that we all go through. We're all negative on ourselves. We're all harsh on ourselves. We forget to smile, um, all the rest of it. I mean, it all comes with mindset. So the first part is mindset. And the key to mindset is to stay positive. You know, there's a problem, solve it. You know, there's a weakness, fix it. Um, focus on your weaknesses, not on your strengths. So everything to do with mindset is number one. Because I had a lot of people telling me what I couldn't do. And most people will. Mm. Unfortunately, that's the way the world operates. Most people are going to tell you what you can't do. And they're not necessarily you know? coming from a place of trying to cut no, you No, totally not. They think totally that they're, they're doing the right thing. Sometimes My dad said to me, why do you want to leave a good job and go and start your own? Yeah. He wasn't coming from a negative place. Yeah. But so mindset is key. Mindset is number one. Mm-hmm. You know, do everything you can, surround yourself with the right people, read the right materials, everything to do with mindset. Mm-hmm. The second thing is planning. You need to plan. And like I said before, I'm always working on iPhone 12, iPhone 13. I'm always thinking many steps ahead. Um, you need to plan. So in, in, in that we talk about vision, having a clear vision. You know, start with a blank piece of paper, follow the YPO model. Uh, have a blank piece of paper for professional, one for personal and one for um um, personal, professional, and, and personal, and family, sorry. So have a family one, a personal one, a professional one. And and right at the top of it, what it is that your ultimate goal is in each. Mm. So personally, what's your ultimate goal? You know, professionally, what's your ultimate goal? And then from a, um, um, what have I missed? Professional, personal, personal professional, and, and family. family. Yeah. Have, have it and, and map it out. And draw what it's like. What is mm-hmm. it? What do you see in three years' time? Mm-hmm. What is it that you want it to be? And then work backwards. Mm-hmm. You know, Simon Sinek's TEDx talk is fantastic. Yeah, 18 minutes why. of the why. You yeah, know, yeah. people know what and how. Sure. It's brilliant. It's an 18-minute beautiful podcast that, mm-hmm. that talks about, you know, it in general. And a lot of people now use that as their strategy planning. Yeah. So one, mindset. Two, planning. Mm-hmm. Make sure you plan. And three, probably the most important piece of advice um, that covers all areas of your life, Get comfortable with your worst possible scenario. Uh-huh. The moment you're comfortable with the worst possible thing that can happen, in any respect, don't let mm-hmm. anything hold you back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's whether you change jobs, you know, whether you, you... You can apply to anything. Do I start a business, not start a business? Do I do I go and eat pizza tonight, do I not? Do I travel to Egypt, do I not? Do I, you know, change partners, do I... Whatever you want to apply it to, 
get comfortable with your worst possible scenario mm-hmm. in the moment that you are. Don't let anything or anyone hold you back. Mm-hmm. And I note also that you, uh, whilst you work very, very hard, you also uh, have some really interesting things you like to do in your leisure mm-hmm. time, including uh, boxing. Get my head bunched in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, um, boxing to me, again, there's a strategy in everything, right? right. So boxing and skiing are two things that I love. Uh-huh. Uh, boxing because of the strategy. Right. Um, you know, you, someone moves left, you move right. Someone moves forward, you move back. Um, there's nothing more confronting than being in a ring and someone wants to beat the shit out of you, right? Yeah. Um, Did you and, come to that later in life or have you always No, been I've always been involved from a okay. younger, but I, later in life I actually got in the ring. Right. So I've had okay. four or five fights now. Yeah. Um, and I learned something from each one. Mm-hmm. Like the last fight, I didn't prepare physically as well as I could have. Right. Um, but it was the mental st- stamina that got me through. Okay. And I didn't actually think I had the mental stamina uh-huh. um, to go three rounds, you know, um, knock gas out, and right. I ended up winning the fight um, against a very talented boxer too, who was a lot fitter than me, mm-hmm. and you know, and a lot stronger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you, I take something away from it every time, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in the lead up and the and and the preparation or in the ring. Mm-hmm. And once you get in that ring, you can do all the preparation you want. And business is no different. You can do all the business planning. You can do all the podcast listening, web seminars, courses, university degrees. But when you actually make that step to open your own business, yeah, or you take the step to change your job, mm-hmm. you're in that ring alone. For sure, you know it's it's you and and whoever sits opposite you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very strategic thing. And then skiing's the same. Mm-hmm. When you're skiing, if you're not concentrating on on you know skiing down that mountain, and the moment anything else comes into your mind, well, you know, kiss your ass goodbye. Um, <laughs> so they're very strategic right. sports that I enjoy. Yeah. I played a lot of tennis when I was younger. I played with you know with with some of the best guys around, like Pat Rafter and Scott Draper as okay, juniors. Right. Um, we were all part of what we call the McDonald squads from yeah. different clubs, oh, yeah. um, and that was I didn't have the mental stability then, the right. mental stamina, not stability. Yeah, sure. I didn't have the stamina back mm-hmm. then. I had the mm-hmm. skills, mm-hmm. Um, had the power, the speed, all that sort of stuff, but didn't have the mental. Mm-hmm. Whereas someone like Pat Rafter was amazing. Yeah, um, all the kids were after a tournament, you know eating lollies and playing pinnies and he right. was out on the tennis court hitting balls right. um, at Coops you know sure. and I never forget seeing him after a tournament and he's still there hitting tennis balls with the mm-hmm. coach and the rest of us were being young kids mm-hmm. um, you know that he had the mental stamina mm-hmm. um, and that, that's why he went on to obviously achieve greatness mm-hmm. um, so it, it, those sports that I get involved in and stuff like that mm-hmm. is about you know, stimulating the mind and exercising the brain. And being a, a friend of yours on Facebook, I see you've got a very nice collection of cars as well. Yeah, I'm, look, I um, <laughs> I this, you know, I love my cars, I love my watches, and I love my wine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cars and they're all three expensive habits. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not into horse racing. I'm not into gambling. Sure. Um, you know, and all the rest of it. And you got to do something, right? Mm-hmm, but yeah, I love my cars. I mean, they. I've always driven nice cars. After I had my first car, which was a beat up Gemini. Right. Um, I always vowed that I'd work hard enough to drive a nice car yeah um, and even when I was working I had a nice car I was working my butt off mm-hmm. to be able to afford it mm-hmm. um, it's one of those personal goals mm-hmm. uh, for me and, and and it always has been my dad brought me up with great values mm-hmm. he said you know son never be jealous of anyone if you want it work for it I imagine um, your parents must be very proud of they you. are they're very proud I'm proud of them I mean they came here you know with my brother and my sister and, and one suitcase mm-hmm. um, you know, I've been able to buy them their first ever car. They've had two brand new cars now. Uh-huh. Um, been able to, you know, send my mother overseas to Italy um, with her, with, mm-hmm. with my sister and her nieces. So, you know, that was that was a great moment. Um, I actually love the gift of giving. Um, one of the most amazing things about being able to have some financial success is that gift of giving. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as my wife says, I've got to be careful, otherwise you give it all away. Sure. Um, but um, it's to me, money's always been about and having enough to do what you want when you want. Mm-hmm. It's never been about being in, you know, whilst I've enjoyed the accolades, don't get me wrong, but, you know, your BRW, rich lists and all this sort of stuff as a young person, and you know, they're, to me, not the meaningful things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, I value people, not possessions. Mm-hmm. I value moments, not possessions. Well, I think that's a fantastic note to finish this on. Philip, thanks very much for your time and have a great afternoon. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, thanks very much for joining us on the Arache podcast. I trust you enjoyed that conversation with Philip DeBella. I'm looking forward to having you along for future episodes. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week.